conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I am joined by Margot Carlson. Once again, it's been a minute. Hello! We're not talking robots today, sadly. Sadly, very sadly. It's my go-to option. But we are talking Rosemary's Baby, which apparently is your second go-to option. Yeah, I mean, this is just a fucked up movie, (laughs) and it turns out I enjoy those. Very selectively. My entire Letterboxd review was, I hate how much I love this. (laughs) Okay, but that is exactly right, Deanna. I'm excited to discuss exactly that problem, right? (laughs) Yeah, basically what I did for the listeners, Mm -hmm. I went to Margot's Letterboxd and I was like, I want to do an episode with Margot one last time. What are her favorite movies? And I was like, oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and you hadn't seen it before, right? Right. I had not seen this before. It had been on my list for a while, just because mm-hmm. I like horror, terrible things. I cannot watch a comedy. Like, I, that's my thing. <laughs> I, I can't laugh. I can't, I can't. I can't laugh. But not at, <laughs> not at any of the right things. That's so funny. I, I do feel that Rosemary's Baby is on a lot of people's lists. Like, it's a lot of like, oh, yeah. I'll get to it someday. Yeah. I feel like... A lot of that has to do with Polanski now. And it's just like, you know what? Maybe I'm mm-hmm. not in a hurry. But yeah. I recently yeah. watched Chinatown and also hated how much I love that. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. Uh, God, we'll that is an it. amazing film. It's the worst when terrible people are amazing at their jobs. <laughs> well, I mean, I can launch into my feeling about Roman Polanski's, like, how I feel like his relationship to this film affects the film because I feel like Mm -hmm. we're dancing around that and and we can do my brain's not working so please use yours (laughs) (laughs) I mean well I feel like that you know we can talk about the elephant in the room and then we can talk about all the fun stuff so the elephant in the room obviously being that Roman Polanski is a pedophile rapist abuser and also a filmmaker that made some movies that are critically acclaimed one of them Mm -hmm. is Rosemary's Baby which is one of my favorite movies and I feel and look this is like personal subjective opinion I feel like you probably relate to it based on your letterbox review Deanna (laughs) but I feel like this is a movie that is about the experience of being subjected to gaslighting and abuse and specifically like even more so I feel that it is a movie that is like a horror film about the experience of like rape culture and patriarchy and being a woman subjected to like systemic and targeted abuse by men and what makes the movie so effective is how realistically and horrifically it depicts that experience and I think this is a horror movie that the horror of it is compounded and increased by the knowledge that the creator not only subjected women to that experience, but also so apparently knows what, like, understands and empathizes with what that experience is from the victim's point of view enough to successfully make this movie. It makes your head hurt. Yeah. It's like, so this is a guy who not only abuses women and girls, but knows how it feels. Like, 
can imagine intimately what that must feel like for the woman involved and made like has made art about it that's really good. And that makes it like, I think, the best horror movie ever because <laughs> it's horrible. Especially for this time period, too, because it's different now where people are actually being believed about things that are happening to them. Yeah. Still not yeah. often enough. But with this one, yeah. what is it? 1968. That sounds like God, so long that's ago. A long time ago, yeah. <laughs> and it's playing on the stereotype of oh, this woman is just hysterical. Mm-hmm. Which, not to say she isn't, because she definitely <laughs> is at times, but for good reason. Yeah, as is so frequently the case, women don't go crazy yeah. for no reason, <laughs> unless they do. Sometimes I might, do. but that's different. <laughs> that's different. But the way that. Mia Farrow plays this character too. First, I barely recognized her because I've only <gasps> seen her like more recently, like in her 60s and 70s. She's such a doll. And I was just like, like she's so porcelain and who perfect. is this? Right? I was like, this is this cannot be the same person, but it is. And she's great. And for the most part, I didn't really recognize a whole lot of other people in the cast except for Elisha Cook Jr. Mm-hmm. from. I want to say, oh, God, what was he in? The House on Haunted Hill? Sure. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> My um, brain is just like, mm-mm. Oh, yeah, no. He he was in House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. Oh, okay. amazing. Ruth Gordon, who plays the horrible pink-haired old woman in this movie, oh she God. is also the star of the film Harold and Maude. She's Maude. And that's another... Um, just incredible, incredible. Uh, yeah, a, a, a movie I recommend very strongly. And she plays a great character in that. And I feel that John Cassavetes, the husband, is like so charming and lovable, even though he's such a fucking monster in this movie. <laughs> yeah, because he's like, no, 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 it's my fault. And men don't do that. Not men like him. <laughs> but it's also like, there is a type of man who is abusive and knows that about himself and just sort of like feels bad about it, but doesn't change. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific type of guy who's like, oh, I'm such an asshole. I treat women so badly. I wish I was different. And then just here's some roses. <laughs> yeah, just keeps doing it. I have to say, I really love the setting of this movie, though, because mm-hmm. I love good, big, creepy houses. I know these are technically like apartments, but that building in New York, perfect. Stunning. Stunning. I, I love the high ceilings. I love that they're like, mm-hmm. they're, they've moved into it and they're like renovating it and painting it. There's such a feeling of like, they're trying to make a home out of this. I also think there's like a very specific type of, the same type of horror like that we get ghost stories from, that we get haunted houses from of like, I read this history of like British haunted house fiction and how people like landed gentry in the UK used to have like property and then they used to have like lots of land surrounding their house. And once more and more people started to move into neighborhoods and cities where they might even share walls with each other, this like specter of like, a memory that lives in the house, a dead person that's left over started to enter fiction because people were hearing like 
people move around in mm-hmm. like outside their building above them below them on either side of them and it was this clustered feeling of like I'm being observed I'm being watched like there's someone here that I don't know about and I feel like that same energy is so present in this movie where even though it's not ghosts it's like the neighbors are making me so claustrophobic <laughs> even though the house itself is so big and spacious the apartment is so spacious but they're like people are encroaching on all sides yeah, there's a moment where Rosemary's in the basement doing laundry and, you know, she meets one of the other tenants and they just hear like this noise. But because it's a basement, they just kind of let it go. Mm-hmm. Like looking back on it, you're just like, yeah, we, you should have seen this coming. <laughs> <laughs> and then like finding this big, what was it, like this giant armoire in front of a closet door uh-huh. and then moving it. It's a bad sign, And then sign, there's like hidden bro. doors behind. <laughs> it's like, come on. But I love stuff like that. Like, I love the psycho house. Right. It's just hard not to. <laughs> I love a secret passageway. <laughs> <laughs> and w- we've both lived on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if you lived in any particularly old buildings, but when I was at college in Philly, my off-campus apartment sophomore year through whenever I was done was like this old Victorian twin house with those very high ceilings, very large windows until you get the mice and cockroaches included. And then you're like, less, less so. (laughs) Let's get a new building. And you could tell like, yeah, you could tell it was obviously renovated because they didn't have rooms separated off like that like it wasn't apartments before and they had like (laughs) the very narrow stairs oh yeah and two sets of storm doors oh wow (laughs) it was just like there was so much noise going on in that building all the time (laughs) so very haunted because you had the front door you had a set of storm doors you had the mailboxes and the door to the first apartment and then another set of like giant thick storm doors oh my god and then you could go inside the rest wow, of the building. What a the, fortress. the basement was creepy. <laughs> I yeah, bet. The basement was creepy. There was nothing down there. <gasps> the whole entire like backyard was just like overgrown weeds and who knows what was crawling back there. Oh my God. <laughs> it was very like creepy Victorian East Coast thing. I love that. I really love that. <laughs> I want a witch to live in that house. I hope that you moved out and a witch moved in. I think she would really make I something so. special out of that place. <laughs> Yeah. But to go back to your point about the neighbors, you have that moment where she's in the house and she's locked the door Mm -hmm. and locked everyone out. And then you just see them in the background. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, this is where It Chapter 2 got this from. (laughs) Well, it's I feel like Hereditary takes so much like pays so much homage to Rosemary's Baby for so many reasons. Obviously, like Mm -hmm. being gaslit is a big part Mm -hmm. of that movie. (laughs) And hysterical woman. (laughs) Hysterical women that aren't believed. Um and and this thing of like creepy people like just suddenly being there and having been there the whole time or having known how to get in the whole time. Like people conspiring against you is one of the most horrible feelings. There's like a trope in fiction that I think is really interesting um, that's been called the Cassandra complex before. Cassandra is a Greek, like historical fictional figure uh, during the Trojan War who was cursed with... She basically 
Apollo really wanted to fuck her. She <laughs> was like, no, you're not going to fuck me. I refuse. And he was like, fine, I'm going to give you this curse. And he cursed her with the ability to see the future, but have no one believe her. And so she proceeded to predict the fall of Troy during the Trojan War, and no one believed her. And then she was brutally raped and died um, in in the story of the Iliad. And I think like throughout history, this figure of this woman who like sees the truth and is trying to get people to believe her and no one ever will until it's too late and she's punished for it uh, is like a tale as old as fucking time itself. Um, very, very much uh, a realistic type of character that uh, we see. I mean, hashtag believe women like women <laughs> women are often uh telling the truth and are not believed and have to face the consequences of that and i think this is like a prime example of just like the torment of that made into an amazing fictional story yeah and you can see how many movies pull from this one now that i've seen it because i also recently watched suspiria oh I love and there's that, that whole section of the movie where she goes and gets books on witchcraft i was literally <laughs> about to say i was like as i was driving home from work i was like okay the part when she like is talking about all them witches is that in suspiria or is that this movie because i know both of them involve like going to a professor and finding out information about a cult yep about a coven that happened in Suspiria too because <laughs> I, I was watching that movie and that scene stood out to me because when I talked to my friend about this I did an episode on it mm-hmm. I, I don't know what time is like five episodes ago 12 <laughs> episodes ago who knows but I was talking to my friend Alex about this and he was like oh that scene probably stood out to you because the, the mouths didn't match because like one person was speaking English and one was like speaking Italian or something weird which happened a lot in Italian horror films Mm -hmm. so I was like I was paying more attention to that scene in particular because I was so confused for a second I was like is this movie in English or is it in Italian like I (laughs) I can't tell I mean in your defense I do I feel like that movie that scene in Suspiria is so absolutely out of left field compared to the rest yeah. of the plot of Suspiria. Like it's one of the only scenes it's just outside so, like, of the dull. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she she leaves this like place that feels like it's the entire location of the movie and has like a normal human interaction with someone who does believe her and does validate her. And then she goes back into like the vortex. And the same thing happens here. Like the yeah. I think t- t- with Hutch yeah, like to our point about how this is such a good, like incredible depiction of like the torment of gaslighting. I feel like that in both of these movies, the like absolute relief of finding someone who's like, you might be right. Maybe I can help mm-hmm. you. And then the loss of that being taken away is so real here. I feel like Suspiria is basically this movie with ballet instead of a baby (laughs) ballet because it's also in a big creepy building (laughs) yeah i think you're right (laughs) there's also like scary old people there's also a conspiracy i also 
you know, I recently watched The Stepford Wives for my podcast, Botcast. Everyone go listen to it. And that is another movie where she like leaves Stepford, goes and gets therapy. And the therapist is like, you should take your kids and leave because you're clearly like not safe. And she goes back and is like immediately stuck again. Is that also based on a book by Ira Levin? I think it might be. Do I not know what books are by Ira Levin? It is. It is? It is. Wow. Yeah. So really, at the end of the day, Ira is the one who understood the experience of being a woman. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, that tracks. I think if, we, if we're giving credit to Roman Polanski, we should really give credit to our king, Ira Levin. I was reading something about how this is sort of Ira Levin's like commentary on Christianity. Oh. Oh, Yeah. Like As son a of Jewish Christ. Person? Yeah, I like that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Or I don't I just made <laughs> that up in my head. One of the two, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> we're just I love wait, tell me more right about now. this reading. That's really interesting. That's that was all I remembered. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I do think that Christianity okay, soapbox moment. It's a bit of a cult. It's a it's a little all encompassing and uber controlling, so that feels right. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if it was like a tweet from someone or an article. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I could, I wish I could tell you, but <laughs> I don't. It's okay. I really don't know. I, don't, I might have just made that up. I, I like either. it as a theory. And if it's your theory, I think it's really smart. But anyway, so the devil. <laughs> Um, how do you feel about the ending? Like her her decision to to give it? Okay, I want to backtrack a little because the Please. way that baby was rocking that baby <laughs> carriage thing, I was just like I was half expecting the baby to just like come flying out and attack someone. Oh my god. Yeah, it was getting its groove on for sure. I was like, what is this woman doing? <laughs> Also, I think it was the same woman who sat on her book when she oh. came to visit earlier. Oh, my God. And I was yeah. just like, please don't do that to books. I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I knew. Sign. I wasn't going to like that character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like, no, no, no. You do not sit on someone's book <laughs> while it is open or closed. This is what I've learned from Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> you never don't sit trust on people book. who sit on books. It means you're a bad person. <laughs> And you're going to rock a devil baby way too hard. I feel like I'm laughing way more than I should while we're talking about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) One thing, okay, as long as we're on the topic of silly thoughts about this movie, I think that chocolate mousse looks so yummy. (laughs) You know the chocolate mousse that she's fed that makes her, like, fertile and, like, it, like, roofies her? (laughs) It It looks, I, like, want to eat it. (laughs) I mean, Guy likes it. Mm Mm-hmm. The fact that this man's name is Guy. (laughs) That always throws me off. Like, I know there are a lot of people actually named Guy, but I'm just like, Mm. who thought that was a good idea? (laughs) Who started this? I also love that he's like an aspiring performer, like an aspiring actor, right? Yeah. And he's like trying to make it in the arts. It's weird because like he's given luck. Because someone who had the part that he wanted goes blind. Right. It's just like, okay. So then you're just like, all right, who's pulling the strings here? 
Because mm-hmm. at the end, to go back to the ending, you know, he just like goes in the other room and hides. Yeah. So I was like, did he want this or was he just going along because it was working out for him? I think that's exactly it. Like, I don't, I think that's back to what we were talking about earlier about how like this type of shitty guy who like doesn't, isn't like actively trying to cause harm but likes the feeling of power and likes how it feels to get what he wants. And success, yeah. So he will, like, hurt the person he's with or the people around him and then, like, feel bad about it, but will still do it because it still gets him what he wants. This is such a common type of shitty boyfriend (laughs) or shitty husband or just shitty dude. And I feel like, um, yeah, so much of his character is, like, You know, like, I wouldn't start a devil-worshipping cult, but as long as one is nearby and I'm benefiting from it, it is really a very similar character to the husband character in Stepford Wives, where he's like, you know, I wouldn't, like, start turning women into robots, but as long (laughs) as it's happening and I'm benefiting from it, I might as well join the party. Yeah. It's like... Well, it's not really hurting anyone. No one's dead. Well, except for Hutch, but... Poor Hutch. He's... I love a nice old man. He's great. And I think (laughs) with this too, like, as soon as we see the neighbors and they're walking up and they're all dressed fancy and they're... The girl who's been staying with them is just like splattered on the sidewalk. Oh, yeah. I feel like they were maybe a little too over the top and I was like oh I'm not gonna like them like right away I would have loved if that was a little bit more of a slow burn oh sure yeah 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 they're it's like uh, it's shocking how annoying they are they really do not shy away from being like unpleasant people but I can't see it and I'm just like why why men (laughs) right I mean that's part of like the like oh my god I'm going insane experience that Rosemary has is like she is too polite and nice to set like a boundary of like, I don't want to be around these people and they're being nice. So I shouldn't say no to them, but they're so fucking annoying. And my like ally here doesn't see that. So I'm alone. And, And of course, then she thinks that she's a bad person for being the only person that thinks they're annoying. When to us, the audience, were like, get away from them. They're so weird. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like they've obviously acquired wealth over the years, the neighbors. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. Rosemary and Guy affording this place. I know. Because it was like pre-success. Yeah. Sorry. Because <laughs> he had done what? I think she says at the beginning he had done a play and some TV stuff. I am choosing to believe that he is a, like, trust fund kid. Like, he inherited okay. some wealth. That's what because I that's the only figured. <laughs> In New York, too. I mean, not that New right. York was nearly as expensive then, but that apartment takes up, like, what, half of the floor oh my of God. that massive yeah. building? I That would be millions of dollars today. Because that building takes up the entire block, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and there's a lot of lovely rooms in that beautiful house beautiful apartment yeah so even if it's just half a floor and then like the neighbors are down the hall across the way or whatever it is it's just 
so big. That's also so big for two people. I know. Well, they're trying to have a third. And fourth and fifth, I think they say at some point. (laughs) Oh, God. Ugh. Ugh. It's just, it's fun, like, imagining if the devil hadn't been implanted in Rosemary's womb, like, what would they be as normal people? And obviously, like, the answer is just, like, unbelievably unhappy. Like, that that guy is never going to be a good dad. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. And then when she wakes up with all the scratches and he was like, oh, I, I don't worry. I clipped my nails now. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, and she was like, but I wasn't I wasn't awake. Hello. Again, this movie is so good. <laughs> this movie is like so it feels so feminist, even though it is so created by such an, a bad person. But it feels that way because like the exact opposite person. Yeah. And like. This young, seeing a young woman in the 60s wake up like from a night where she got a little too out of it and had sex with her husband and woke up the next morning feeling like she had been assaulted is like such a new thing for the time and now. But like in Mm -hmm. the 60s, like marital rape was not a concept like it wasn't a thing like you are married you can't be raped by your husband you're married to him right so this the concept of like she woke up and she knew what had happened and she knew that it wasn't okay that it was a violation even if the devil wasn't involved like even if the devil wasn't involved she she woke up and was like you like had sex with me when i was not conscious and Mm -hmm. i'm not cool with that and his reaction is like, don't worry, like, I'll cut my nails next time I have sex with you while you're asleep. <sighs> it's just good. It's a good movie. It's really smart. And I resent it. <laughs> yeah. And then she kind of falls further into hysteria when she asks Guy, like, let me see your left shoulder or right shoulder. I forget which one it is. And he's just like, here you go. Here's both of them. And there's nothing mm. there. So then she just <gasps> feels like she's going even crazier. Mia Farrow was so good in this. She's so good. I I also love like the little like microaggressions throughout the movie mm-hmm. when she gets her hair cut and he's like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you know, she's trying to do one thing for herself to make her feel good. And he's like, yeah, mm, throw it out. Yucky. And the old couple are like, it looks bad, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, and we haven't even talked about the doctor yet. Oh, my God. (laughs) This fucking gynecologist. This movie is such a slow burn that it just lets you sit with everything that's happening uncomfortably long. Mm -hmm. But it's so good. What is the runtime on this movie? I think it's two hours and 18 minutes. Perfect length. (laughs) No notes. (laughs) (laughs) If this were like most other movies, there would be more notes on that <laughs> that runtime. <laughs> exactly. I usually have notes with that runtime, but this time it just worked so well. And to go back to the doctor, I was just like, how is this guy like a renowned doctor? And then you kind of start to find out, oh, no, he's just like the doctor for this really, really small circle of creepy rich people. Yeah. And he's just, like, poisoning her. Like, oh, God. But Ralph Bellamy plays the character so, so well. Mm-hmm. 
he seems like kind of befuddled and harmless throughout the whole movie. Yeah, kind of like a big buffoon almost. Yeah. With the doctorate, unfortunately. I just realized I'm literally sitting in front of a Rosemary's Baby poster. Amazing. <laughs> See, we picked the perfect movie. We love we love the movie. I don't know what else to say about this. I really hate that I loved it so much. Yeah, so tell me more about like your experience of watching it for the first time. At what point, like when you started it, knowing that I loved it, but also knowing that it's a Roman Polanski movie, did you start it thinking like, I'm going to probably like this and I'm going to hate it? Or <laughs> what was like the journey for you? Because I had semi-recently watched Chinatown as well, mm-hmm. and I hated that I loved that, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, this guy is actually good at his job. <laughs> <laughs> because as soon as I saw the setting, it's like when you go into, like I said, the, the psycho house or the exorcist house. Yeah. You just know. You're like, this is going to be a good movie because they picked <laughs> the exact perfect location for it. Mm. Especially with stuff like this, because you just know everything's going to go wrong. And I love movies that mostly take place in a confined space. Yeah, me too. You know, we, t- we talked about how big this building is. And we see Rosemary in the basement. We see them in their apartment, in the neighbor's apartment. And we see them outside the building. And like Suspiria, it kind of takes you out of it a little when she goes elsewhere. Like when she's at the doctor's offices or when she's, you know, in the phone booth, for instance. But yeah. the phone booth is still confined. So mm. it worked because she couldn't escape. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like the one sort of the space that she can go to get a little bit of relief and respite is the doctor's office, which is also he's also part of it. Like he's a yeah. part of the bad guys. So there's really nowhere that she can turn. Even the other doctor, when she's like, I'm going to go back to the other guy that I went to the first mm-hmm. time. And then he calls the other doctor. You're like, God, why? I know. <laughs> I know. I can't trust any of these assholes. <laughs> Only Hutch. Only Hutch. And he had to fucking die. Speaking of Hutch, what did you think of the funeral scene? Because that was also kind of out of place, too. Remind me what happens <laughs> that scene. Rosemary had placed a call to Hutch, and this woman answered like with a British accent or something. I don't know if it was British, but she answered the phone with an accent. And then Rosemary finds out that Hutch died and goes to the funeral and the woman gives her the book. Oh, right, right, right. I don't know. What do you what do you feel about that scene? It felt a little forced, like she had to go to the funeral just to get the book when because like who brings a book to a funeral? It's a little convenient. Yeah. As someone with lots of books, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Even I wouldn't do that. So Yeah, that's fair. And then Guy just throws it away. He's just like, you were getting too stressed out. Or whatever it was. It just throws You're getting it away. stressed so then, out, so you so I'm going to control you even more. <laughs> yeah. And then she has to go to a bookstore and find another copy and gets another book. And I feel like maybe some of that stuff could have cut down on the runtime a little bit. Cause yeah. That's that's true. It's like she had to get the book twice. Right, right. I think it's effective that like she's starting to catch on 
and he gets rid of her access to this knowledge Mm -hmm. but sort of like throws it off as like oh you're just getting hysterical I just wanted to calm you down I'm just trying to like (laughs) protect you and make you feel better it's very coercive and like insidious the way that he like you know continues to gaslight her um so I feel like it's effective for that but I feel like it would be if she if Hutch had just given her the book and then the rest of that had happened without needing to like go to the funeral and get the book from this tertiary character that would have been way more streamlined because that's basically the only purpose that that character served Mm mm-hmm Plot character, ex- exposition character. <laughs> yeah. And then there was that whole thing with Guy taking one of Hutch's gloves earlier. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was so weird. And it was hard to tell because, like, Guy doesn't seem that smart. No. I don't think that's meant to be a stereotype on actors either, because I think <laughs> you might be more familiar with some being in the film industry than I would be. But some of them are really smart. Yeah, no, I agree. They're artists. I think this guy's just a... a I mean, he's not a successful actor, so maybe there's a comment about that. Right. (laughs) But you see today how, like, so many of them subvert the stereotypes because they're either, like, super charitable or they have, like, Mm. eight different companies that they run. Right, (laughs) right. I don't know how Reese Witherspoon sleeps. Oh my god, I know. She is a busy woman. I truly don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, she obviously has money to hire people. I do not. So I just, I don't sleep. But that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Rosemary doesn't sleep either. That's true. Because she is smart enough to know that what she believes is going on is actually going on. Yeah. Her strength of will and like ability to not give in to the compulsion to just like assume that she's going crazy she's a very strong person and you see her go and get the knife and go through the little secret door Mm -hmm. and she just walks into that room holding the knife (laughs) it just it does make the ending all the more intense that after all of this like resistance the whole movie she ultimately is like i can't fight it I have to give in. It's very hopeless. Yeah. Do you wish we would have seen the baby? (sighs) Such a good question. I think I do like that we don't, but I also am, I love a good character, a creature design, you know? So I'd be open to seeing the baby. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like it was a missed opportunity for a great creature effect, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially because it would have been like the only one in the entire movie. It would have had yeah. more impact. That's true. I love good creature effects. Truly, the movie is just vibes. Like, it's really... <laughs> it it's really just is. really dark yeah. vibes. <laughs> yeah. It really is. And we love it. We hate that we love it. And we love it. We do. Ugh. I'm going to have to make a letterboxed list that is, we hate that we love it. <laughs> oh, my God. And Chinatown is there as well. I think, like, you know, yes. people talk about separating the art from the artist a lot with artists like Woody Allen and, of course, Roman Polanski. And I feel like, back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the podcast, like, creators put themselves into the work that they create. And when you watch a Woody Allen movie, it's, like, so specifically him and so much 
of the film and the story and the performances are about like this type of character that he has and this person, this like this like self-pitying abusive person that he is. And I do think that they, he ha- he makes some good art, but I think like factoring in these qualities of the person making the art does embellish the experience of watching their creation. Yeah. For better or for worse. And I think here like it results in this experience of like I exactly as you've been saying like watching this makes me feel uncomfortable because it's so good and I'm so uncomfortable with how good it is and how realistic it is and that discomfort is like good art (laughs) I hate to say it (laughs) that's also the whole point of horror too as a genre yeah it's to make you uncomfortable and I think with movies personally it's a little easier to separate the art from the artist because a singular person does not make a movie. That's true. And this is like this is a film based on a book. And again, Ira is the man that deserves the most praise for this. Yeah. But but yeah. Because it's like if you tried to for instance avoid movies that Kevin Spacey is in. Right. Good luck. There's a lot of great movies that he's in, but it's not necessarily because of him. Sure. Sure. And it's harder with like an auteur, like Roman or Woody. Yeah. This is not to say that I think that Roman Polanski should ever be allowed to move or breathe or make art again. I think he should rot in a cell somewhere. (laughs) I don't know why France wants to keep him, honestly. It makes no sense. Yeah. No, like truly he is like should not be allowed to communicate with other people for the rest of his life I think but um but of the you know whatever I it's hard to consume art and and separate your enjoyment of it from I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say I I'm defending (laughs) myself for liking this movie (laughs) yeah it's tough because I've you know for my Stephen King podcast I had to watch a Brian Singer movie and I was like Mm. I understand this is much creepier than it probably would have been had I watched it before I knew everything. Which movie? Apt People. Oh, I haven't seen it. If you read the description of the movie, you will understand almost immediately. Sure. sure. <laughs> but it's just so infuriating when people who are terrible are good at their jobs. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think that someone who isn't a predator could make Rosemary's Baby perhaps even better. Perhaps a woman could make an incredible version of Rosemary's Baby. Like, what if Karen Kusama did a remake? I would love that. I would love that. I, you know, like, I I think the material is incredible and the film is super good. But I don't think that any sort of hero worship surrounding the creator of the film needs to be a part of it other than no. what we've discussed already of like watching it makes us feel very weird and that's an interesting feeling <laughs> as an and audience I think member no matter, i think no matter who directed it this would be an uncomfortable movie but it's like mm. extra uncomfortable because of who mm-hmm. made it exactly exactly and you know like that's an experience that i sort of had in reverse with movies like the shining where i like saw The Shining and loved it and cited it as a favorite movie. And then afterwards, 
like discovered about the making of the film and how abusive Kubrick had been to Shelley Duvall and like how her horrible her experience was. And I do think that learning that adds a like colored lens to the experience of rewatching it and thinking about it again of like this is still an incredible movie and it's also like yet another movie about a kind of psychological torment and abuse created by someone who was psychologically tormenting and abusing people involved. Margo, I think we have a type. I'm sensing a pattern here. I think I think we might have a problem, Dia. <laughs> Because I love The Shining so much. <sighs> what do we do? What do we do with this? <laughs> Listeners, write in. What do we do with this? <laughs> don't know. I know. I know. I think like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm a pretty politically thoughtful person. But when it comes to like horror movies that I like, I just am like a simp. I can't help it. <laughs> Same. I guess we just need to decide we like John Carpenter movies and that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's easy. Give me a Carpenter, a Craven. It's very easy. That's, can't go wrong. Yeah. I, I can still watch Christine. That's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That can be my Stephen King movie. That's a classic. The Shining's so good. I know. That's that's the thing. I'm looking at your Jack Nicholson <laughs> in the corner again, making a little face at me. That book weighs like five pounds. <laughs> it is massive. <laughs> You could murder someone with that book. We're not oh going God. to, though, but... No, not yet. Margo? Not yet. Maybe someday. <laughs> not yet. Might murder my back <laughs> if I put it in a box and move it, but that's fine. Uh-huh. Margo, any final thoughts here? Um, Thank you so much for having me. This has been so delightful. I really appreciate you, like identifying a movie that you knew I would enjoy talking about and then watching it. That's very kind of you. I looked and I was like, oh, that's on my list. We can do that. Because it's been on my list for a while. I'm like... And I'm so glad. I'm one of those people who likes to read the book first, and I did not do that. No, I've never read it. I'm a terrible scholar. (laughs) We're both bad people, Deanna. I think that's like the thesis of this episode of the podcast. (laughs) We are terrible. This movie's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mia Farrow's amazing. If we're going to leave you all with that information to do what you will with it. Exactly. Exactly. We're both we're putting each other and ourselves on blast in this episode. Yes. <laughs> but I don't know. It's a good movie. Sorry. I still feel like I laughed way too much during this episode. <laughs> good. I'm glad that we could keep the, the mood light. <laughs> with Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. This has been great. Thank you for joining me.